Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone Levine, Laurie McDougall, and Kayla Solomon. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies and Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. Hi, everyone. This is Laurie McDougall back on Coming Up for Air. I am here with my co-host, Kayla Solomon. Good morning, Kayla. Good morning, Laurie. I want to just let all of our listeners know about an offer on the Allies and Recovery website, a brand new new member. Actually, I don't even know if it's a new member offering. I think it's just complete half of the modules in 10 days. So you want to go to the Allies in Recovery website, www.alliesinrecovery.net. You want to take out a new membership, and then you want to complete half of the modules in 10 days. If you complete half of those modules in the 10-day period, then you have the ability to take one of our five-hour training sessions worth about $250 for free. You're going to get that offer for free. So go check it out, see if you're interested and get involved, see if it's something you can accomplish. And then Kayla, why don't you kind of introduce what the topic is for today? Well, there's a few few angles on this. I would say that this is about how to make progress in this program, because I feel like last week we talked about the eight to 12 week shift. And I think we need to talk about change, behavioral change, thought change, how things change. Because that's what craft is all about. The craft modules and the craft process is about looking at what is happening at the moment, looking at what works and what doesn't work, and acquiring new skills and then implementing them. And one of the things that Lori and I talked about is that eight to 12 week expectation that things are going to change. It's really much more based, change is much more based on how engaged you are in, in the changes, how much change you're actually implementing in your life, how you're changing, how you think about things, how you're changing, how you interact. And you're really looking at all the ways that we're talking to people, thinking about people and being with people. So those are the things that we're looking at changing and certainly what's going on inside of you and whether you're taking care of yourself or not. So I think that's our topic today is how do you actually dig in and change when something isn't working for you? And I have a few models that I use, but I'd like to hear from you, Lori. Yeah, this is something that I that I actually do worry about a little bit because I think applying a specific time frame on it, oh, I'm going to implement this particular program over a five or a six week period or even an eight to 12 week period. And then if something doesn't go well, kind of sets you up to kind of have a backlash where you're not feeling successful and can kind of be discouraging. I guess that's the word, right? Discouraging. Yes. The one thing that I get from craft, one thing that I that I understand from everything that I've read and I have been trained in craft is that if you don't want to do something or if you're incredibly uncomfortable doing something, then you shouldn't do it. That's the great thing about craft is you can really identify 
what it is that you can change right here, right now, no matter how small it is, and you can implement that and not be so ridiculously uncomfortable that you're then not going to actually follow through on implementing a new skill or a new boundary or, and those are things that I would like to convey to family members a lot more. I'd like to stress it a lot more. If you're uncomfortable with it, don't do it. In fact, if you're that uncomfortable with it, I would suggest not doing it until you're to the point of, I'm going to do it because then you're more likely to follow through. Which I think is true with all skills that you're working with. It's like anything that you start is hard to do because you're a beginner. And that's why we talk about taking everything that we're all the skills and practicing on other people, on yourself, so that they become secondhand. It's like anything else. Every time you do it, it becomes more familiar. And things that we don't do are unfamiliar and uncomfortable and are harder to do. So I just want to go back to a model about the way I think about behavior change, okay, and changing things. Number one is that you have to identify what's not working because nobody makes any changes unless they, unless things are uncomfortable. If it's working, why would you change? So you start out after the fact going, whoa, this is really not something that I feel good about. And so you identify it. But then the next step, and I think this is the most important step, is making a decision to change. Because without that decision, all of the steps that are needed to take place to move things into another direction are much harder because you're not clear about what you're doing. You're not clear about what you're wanting. So the decision to change is like, I want to stop worrying. I want to listen better. I want to take care of myself better. I want to be able to pause before I speak. If I get upset, I want to leave. So you make that decision and there is no presumption that you're going to be successful with this. None. That's the expectation. The decision gets made and then you learn the tools that you need to be able to implement those things and you try. And as I like to say, you try and fail. That's why trial and error, there's many, many ways to say it, because I personally think it's the only way to learn. I personally have learned a lot more from my mistakes than getting it right the first time, because then I don't know what happened. Like, how did that work? Which I find interesting, because isn't that the point that we're trying to tell family members and allies, right, of our loved ones, is that our loved ones learn by making mistakes, and so do we. But there's one thing I want to point out, too, that I think craft does really well. And that is when you're trying to determine how to change your behavior or even it could be a discussion, it could be conversation, communication. But when you're trying to change your own behavior or when you're trying to work on a particular problem, The goal is to narrow the problem or the difficulty really, really narrow. And when you do that and you don't, you don't look at it in general terms, and I'll kind of describe it a little bit better. What that allows you to do is to take tiny little baby steps and not have to make these big sweeping changes, which are incredibly uncomfortable, really difficult to measure when you do have success really difficult to even identify success. And what do I mean by narrowing it down? Really narrowing it down is if I say something like, oh my God, you never help out around the house. Really general. 
really, really something very general, really hard to measure, really hard to manage, really hard for me to manage as the ally, really hard for my loved one to manage because they don't quite know what that means. To them, maybe it means, well, what are you talking about? I, I've been putting my laundry in the laundry basket. I've been doing the dishes after dinner and I've been doing the laundry. Whereas you might mean, I need to have the garbage out on the curb on Thursday night and I need the lawn mode. So to them, they might be trying to please you and to do those specific things that they think is helping out around the house. But if you're not specific, they don't know that it's mowing the lawn and getting the garbage out to the curb. You really want to narrow it down. And when you do that, it makes things more manageable for you. It makes things more manageable for your loved one. They know exactly what it is that they're going to do that's going to make things better. And it also makes it measurable. Oh, okay. I can see that you've been putting the garbage out on Thursday nights. And I really appreciate that you mowed the lawn this week. So it's easy for me to manage. It's easy for me to reward. It's easy for me to measure. And it's a baby step. It's not, I need help with 50 things around the house. I think this is true with all behavior. Because if you think about it, if you say, I want to be healthier or I want to take care of myself, meaningless sentence, meaningless. But then if you say, okay, every time I'm anxious, I am going to take five minutes and do a, uh, an online meditation, or I am going to go for a walk tomorrow at two o'clock. I personally I need scheduling. Not everybody does that, but if it's not in my schedule, it doesn't happen. If, I, if it's in my schedule, then I'm prepared. So for example, walking for me, if I'm at work and I want to go for a walk, I have to have my sneakers there. I have to have walking clothes because I have different outfits for walking and work. So I'm changing into my walking clothes. I have to schedule the time so I have enough time to actually get a walk. And then I need to have time to come back and change back into my work outfit. So again, it's specific. It's like tomorrow at one o'clock, I am going to take a walk. So then I, my whole day is around that. If I say I need to walk more, that does not translate for me into behavior. In the rest meetings, we were actually creating a grid. We actually created two grids. One grid was all of the different areas of our lives, like our social life, exercise, health, you know, nutrition, sleep, personal hygiene, all of these different things that are in our lives. And then we kind of scored them from one to 10, 10 being the best, one being the worst. And then what we did was if you scored just quick thinking, not overanalyzing, well, how are my relationships and da, 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 and you know, not overanalyzing, just quick thinking. And also this is about you, not your loved one. This is not about your relationship with your loved one. It's all about you. And it's kind of like what you are bringing to the table. Are you um, not getting enough sleep? And if you're not getting enough sleep, then that's what you're bringing to the table. And so maybe you need to work on that. So on a scale from one to 10, just quickly go through it, scale it. Then we decided, okay, if you scored between an eight, nine or a 10, you don't need to work on that. You're going to leave it alone. If you scored between a one, two and a three, you're not going to work on that because that can be daunting. You're going to look between the four, five, and six, 
figure out that category. And then we created a whole new grid. You are going to talk about in one column, you're going to talk about what needs to change. So let's say you chose sleep. You're going to write down, I've been waking up at four in the morning and I can't seem to get to bed, but I've been on my phone until about 12 o'clock while I'm lying in bed. So you're writing down all of the things I need to get more sleep. Then it was, okay, what are the strategies that you're going to implement? So that's the second column. Okay, I'm going to make sure and plug my charger in across the room and plug my phone into the charger just before I get into the bed so I'm not looking at my phone while I'm laying in the bed. So you put down these strategies. And then the last column was timeline. How long are you going to give yourself to accomplish this? And we did this in our meetings. We did it like a couple of weeks in a row. We didn't share anything. You don't you don't need to share. This is for you and all about you. But then we worked on it. We Okay, what went well last week? What do you need to tweak? Is there anything else up there? Do you want to go through the scale again and kind of take a look at it and pick something different to work on? Or do you need to still work on sleep patterns? Or And I think it went well. I did get some feedback and and people loved that it was planned out, that it was structured, that they hadn't thought about being structured with improving on their own difficulties that the, or the things that they're bringing to the table. People hadn't thought about doing it in this very structured way. I want to just point out why we're even talking about this, because there's people who are tuning in for the first time and they're probably like, well, why are you spending, what difference does it make if I'm sleeping or exercising? My loved one is out there and they're going to die and I have to make sure that they're okay. And I have to, I'm on this site so that I can help my loved one. And what's important here is that I, I like to think of it as I cannot help anybody if I'm a hypocrite. Okay, so I'm looking to everybody that I care about, everybody that I'm working with, and I want them to have good self-care and take care of business and be responsible and, and do all the things that create a good life for somebody, find meaning. If I'm not doing those things, I have zero credibility. And I also don't have any energy to be able to do this with anybody. The craft model, really, one of the fundamental paradigm shifts for me is that you wind up working so hard on yourself that there's this energy change with the other person. Because also, you can't do what we're asking if you're not focused on yourself. And when people walk in here, a lot of times they're not focused on themselves at all because they're strung out and they're exhausted and they're trying to keep the other person alive. And so it gets very distorted where all of our energy and time goes to taking care of this other person, allowing them to be okay, figuring out what they need. And if that worked, that would be great. But all of our time and attention and focus doesn't really work out or else you would not be on this site. Because this site is about my person is not really going for help and getting what they need. So they're making my life miserable. So start with yourself. How do you not make your own life miserable? And then you have more to work with when you're trying to shift the dynamic. To me, this is a big, deep conversation because when I say it's about what you bring to the table, I mean, literally, it's about what you bring to the table. It's about the fact that you're your contribution to this situation is that you're you're not doing well. How can you learn new communication skills if you're exhausted? 
How can you learn interactive skills? You're not going to, you're going to be less likely to have the ability to change those things. If you're absolutely wiped out, not eating well, you know, not sleeping well, that's what you're bringing to the table. You're bringing more illness to the table is really how I see it. The other thing about it is we're asking our loved ones to get better, but we're not willing to get better ourselves. How can we ask someone else to improve on their life and get better and live a better life if we're not willing to try and do the same? And I just think we all know how difficult it is to change. And if we're asking them to change, but we're not willing to change, do we really have the right to ask them to change? And then on top of it, that's an awful lot of responsibility to put on my loved one with SUD, how I'm feeling. Does that make sense? I personally think it's uh, too much for anybody. (laughs) Right. So, and that's my point is like, I'll only get better if you get better. So you get better first and then I'll get better. No, it's not my loved one's job to make me feel better with their behavior. And I was burdening my son with that when I was going through a lot of this stuff. I was burdening him with, you need to make me feel better. And it wasn't until I was like, wow, I really shouldn't be burdening him with that. I want him to learn to do it for himself. Ooh, I better learn to do it for myself at least better. And I thought I was. I didn't even realize that I was kind of putting it on to him. And that's why we have such a focus on self-care, because if you are caring for yourself, then you automatically are taking responsibility for your own well-being. And for some reason, when we're in crisis, that goes out the window. We just go into caregiving, problem solving, fixing and, you know, superhero mode of like, I have to t- I have to save this person's life because there's somebody's life in my hands. And that's important, but it's impossible. You know, it's basically like if you are exhausted and burnt out and angry and frustrated and don't have a toolbox to work with, then wh- how are you going to do it? I mean, this is the difference between like chronic and crisis. It doesn't mean to say that if someone is unsafe that you shouldn't step in. We strongly say, yes, you do step in. We want everybody to say, to be safe. You, your loved one, everybody. But it can be a really hard line to determine what's chronic, what's crisis. And I hear we had a big discussion a little bit about it in one of our meetings this week about It can feel like a crisis, even when it's not. And you can have the worry that our loved ones are just so unsafe that it's paralyzing. It's just paralyzing and we don't make change because we're so afraid of the unknown. I think it's really important to be clear here that when you have somebody that is engaging in substance use and alcoholism and, you know, going over edges with using substances and being homeless, hanging out with terror, people who want to harm them, being on the streets at night. We can go on. There's a whole list of things that people do, you know, shooting heroin and you don't know if there's fentanyl in it. And now, by the way, fentanyl is in many drugs. They're mixing it in. It's a really apparently good filler for a lot of drugs. So there's fentanyl in a lot. So 
pretty much everybody needs to be walking around with Narcan, which is the drug that can help revive somebody who's overdosed on on an opiate. You know, I, I feel like, yes, everything feels like a crisis because there's so much inherent danger to the things that people are doing. And so that's why this is a confusing conversation. If my kid's living in the car, if my kid's out on the street, if my husband is driving drunk, is this crisis or chronic? Okay. And I feel like if it happens every day, then by definition, it's chronic. If it happens regularly, it's chronic. A crisis is a one-time event. So if the person's out on the street for one night and they just went wandering, that's a crisis. If they live on the streets, that's more chronic. And yes, it is unbelievably dangerous, but we have to really be clear with ourselves on what do we have the power to intervene with? Because if we keep thinking, oh, I need to jump in and do something, I need to take care of this, I need to make something happen, then what happens is that we're creating a mess. Because it's not changing anything. No, we become part of the chronic. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to need a new phone. I'm going to call my loved one and they're going to send me a new phone, even though I lost it because I was using, but I need to have a phone. So let's get a new phone. Let's get a new phone. Let's, I mean, the phone is such a big thing now, or send me money for food when we know very well, they're not going to be using it for food, you know, or I need to get a hotel room. Are you going to get the hotel room or are you going to use that money for something else? Which doesn't mean to say that we're saying that you that you shouldn't or you should do any of these things. I think that that's really, really important. But also you can make little changes. So like food, instead of sending money for food, you can have pizza delivered. So you're still making sure they're not starving to death, but you're also not sending cash. Exactly. I would always make sure that my son had a phone so that he could contact me. But my son wasn't one that was selling his phone or losing his phone. Maybe I would have felt differently if I had been in that situation. So I want to make it clear to all of our listeners, we're not saying you should or you shouldn't. We're just saying that these are things that maybe you can intervene in those particular pieces, tweak one little thing and have a different outcome. Well, but also instead of buying the latest iPhone every time or the latest I can't even remember the name, but instead of doing that, you get them the cheapest phone or a flip phone and one of those limited plans so that they could call if they need something, but they're not just using the phone to call their drug dealer 75 times. Yeah. I mean, and there's lots of like little things. If you get, if you get really creative, like I had to learn certain things at first I would send cash or money for food. And then I learned, okay, that's not working out well. So then I started sending gift cards. Well, then I learned that doesn't work very well because of a couple of things they can go in and just put the gift card in the money machine at the at like the grocery store or they can sell the gift cards. So then it was like, okay, yeah, that's not working. Then it was like, okay, I will have food delivered. And I learned to have groceries delivered or I would have a pizza delivered or whatever it was, but you were not getting money. You were not getting any form of money. And you know what? If you sell the groceries, have at it. Or sell the pizza. (laughs) At least I know that I did what I could to keep you fed and keep you alive. But my point with this is, is I learned over time, I didn't stick with the black and white. And I kept adjusting my behavior until I narrowed it down to something that was that was working and was going to have a better outcome. But that's the key. 
That's the model. The model is that you start with the vision of what you want. I am not going to give you money for drugs, which looks like a lot of things. And what you did was like, I'm going to have pizza delivered. I'm going to have this delivered. Oh, you're selling the cards. I'm not going to do that. So this is not like, oh, I made a mistake and I sent a card. This is like, oh, okay, that's interesting. That didn't work. So you just want to be engaged in the process so that you're really in real time seeing, does this work or does this not work? Exactly. So you're basically trying something so you could actually assess the effectiveness of it. So I want everybody to know my belief system is there are absolutely no failures. There, are, It's trial and error. There's practice, there's learning, there's moderating, there's modulating, there's shifting, there's trying something different, there's tweaking things. That's what is required for behavior change. Because it could be like, I decide, okay, I'm going to run a marathon. And then I go running for two days. It's great. The third day, my knees start to hurt. Maybe that's not for me. Maybe I'm going to walk a marathon. Maybe I'm going to walk every day. Maybe I need to do some kind of yoga to stretch myself out more. Maybe I need new sneakers. But you're always checking in to see what works and what doesn't work. And and I think this is a great example. If you're running and your knees hurt or you get shin splints, you stop doing it that way. You either make changes or you don't do it. That's what we're talking about. Oh, I'm going to do this. This didn't work. Nope. Okay. So don't do it. It's, you know, the old vaudeville joke. Doctor, it hurts when I do this. I think that's exactly what we're talking about, right? You have to be able to adjust and to not take it personally as a failure. And and I think I didn't at that point. My thing was, I'm not going to let him starve. So I've got to find a way to, to get him food to satisfy that need inside of me, because that's what I wanted. I couldn't live with him not being able to eat, but I also couldn't live with my money going towards drugs. I had to find what's going to work so that I'm taking care of myself and I'm adjusting for, uh, for that. Great conversation again, Kayla. Why don't we go ahead and wrap it up? So why don't you summarize what we talked about today? Okay, so so we're talking about change and how subtle change needs to be. Change is not that you'd make a decision and it's done, but you want to look at what doesn't work. Then you want to make a decision about what you're trying to change. And as Lori said, you want to be really specific about what specific, small, measurable behavior you're trying to change. And then what's your plan to make the change? So you have a structure so that you're accountable to yourself for what you're trying to do over time. So it's basically the structure that holds you to something. And then it's about trial and error. It's about trying things and being fascinated about what works about it and what doesn't work about it. No judgment, no criticism, just being interested. And then based on what's working and what doesn't work, you do less of what doesn't work and more of what is working. And that's the whole model is if you're aware of these things, then you actually will know the answer to what works and what doesn't work. But if you're judgmental and critical and feel defeated, then you're going to give up and most likely go backwards. And again, what we're talking about when it comes to other people is not gigantic changes. It's tiny, little, subtle changes that will help you shift over time. And you have to give credit to yourself for doing that. Great. Thank you, Kayla. I just want to remind our listeners that we have an incredible offer on the Allies in Recovery website right now. We're calling it the 10-Day Challenge. In 10 days, if you can complete half of the modules in the Learning Center, you qualify for a coupon to take our five-hour 
training called Becoming an Ally. It's worth about $250. So all you listeners out there, if you're thinking about it, you're thinking about trying craft, get on the Allies in Recovery website and take our 10-day challenge. And remember that if you do this, this is considered this immersion. So when you do things like this and you do the immersion version of it, it allows you to help move you quicker. So if you can do it, go for it. It's exciting. Okay, great. Have a great week. You too. Bye. Bye, Bye. Kayla. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.